Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Second reading of scripture from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Faith is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we don't see. Let me read that again. Faith is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we don't see. The elders in the past, were approved because they showed faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Even though I was only four at the time, I still vividly remember the opening of Walt Disney World and the Magic Kingdom. How many of you remember? It was a big deal for Orlando at the time, and obviously it's been a big deal ever since. Uh, I read a story once about the grand opening ceremony. Uh, Walt wasn't there. He had died about five years before Walt Disney World opened. One of the executives was sitting next to Lillian, Walt's wife, and just said, don't you wish Walt could have been here to see this? And apparently, the legend is, she turned to him and said, he did see this. That's why we're here. You get it, right? That Walt Disney World exists because... It was first a vision in Walt's mind, and he did the work to get it started. Imagine what Orlando would be if he hadn't. Walt himself never actually got to enjoy the park, but how many millions of people, including probably every one of us, have in the years since? He saw it, even though he never experienced it. About 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the Holy Land, which included uh, visiting three nations, Jordan, Israel, and Egypt. We actually flew in to Amman in Jordan, and that's where the tour began. So the very first stop on the tour was Mount Nebo. Uh, Mount Nebo is the site where Moses was able to see the Promised Land. You talk about the Promised Land a lot in the Old Testament. Starting back with Abraham and Sarah, God said, I'm going to give you a land, an inheritance for you and your, and your, your um, children. That promise was passed on for generation after generation, long before they actually received it. First to Abraham and Sarah, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, then to Joseph, then to all of the Israelites, and then to Moses, who led the Israelites, you remember, 40 years in the wilderness before they actually could enter into the promised land. Well, that morning, we were supposedly standing in the spot 
where Moses saw the promised land for the first time. You heard Emily read just a moment ago, Deuteronomy 34.4. God said, this is the land. I mean, he was pointing out to it. He was looking at it. This is the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I promised I will give it to your descendants. I have shown it to you with your own eyes. However, you will not cross into it. That hardly seems fair, but that's a sermon for another day. The point is, as he stood there, just as I stood there that morning, it was a, it was a crystal clear morning. We could see everything. Just right in front of us was the city of Jericho, and then the Dead Sea, and, and you could see the Judean wilderness, and all the way out to the Mediterranean coastline, all the way up to the Sea of Galilee, and the, and the fertile hills surrounding the Sea of Galilee, and the Jordan River traveling from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea. It was all right there in front of us, just as it had been for Moses. This is where all the stories of the Bible happened, right there. He got to see it, but he never got to experience it. Later that day, I would get on a tour bus that would take me into the promised land. Moses would only see it. He had to be content that his job was to lead God's people to the promise, even though he didn't get to experience the promise himself. Isn't that often the case? Isn't it often the case that a vision comes to one generation, a cause, something that must be done? It begins in one generation knowing that they will never experience it fully. The fruit will come in future generations. I'm thinking of people like Dr. Martin Luther King. In his lifetime, he saw the passing of the Civil Rights Act into law, but the dream wasn't fulfilled in his lifetime. A dream that was deeply rooted, he said, in the American dream. A dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That's not a dream that has yet to be fulfilled. The work now is upon us to continue to work on that dream. It seems especially appropriate as Derek Chauvin stands trial for the wrongful death of George Floyd, and then just in these last days, the wrongful death of Dante Wright and the, the riots that have followed. There's still work to be done in this generation to fulfill the dream that was begun before us. And of course, Dr. King references another dream, the dream of our nation's founders. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. There's still work to be done in this generation to fulfill a dream begun two centuries and more before. Or think about this place. We're in a church. There was once a time... When churches like ours were built, I'm thinking of cathedrals in Europe, they would begun, were begun in one generation with the full knowledge and awareness that it would still be under construction generations later. One generation would say, let's build a cathedral in this place. Here's the land, here's the, here's the design, the plans. 
knowing they would never see most of the work completed. The next generation would come, and they would be expected to continue the work, and oftentimes it was the third or fourth generation before the building was complete. That's often the way it is in history. A dream begins in one generation. One person sees it, has the vision, but it's not fulfilled until some future generation takes up the cause and continues it. Hebrews 11, 1 through 2 says, faith is the reality of what we hope for. Hope is always a future-oriented word, the proof of what we don't see. But then it adds, the elders, those who have gone before us, in the past were approved because they showed faith. And if we were to continue through Hebrews 11 today, you would see this long list of biblical heroes who lived out the faith knowing that they were only experiencing in part what God intended, that they were taking up what had come before them and passing it on to the next. It mentions people like Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, the judges, and many more. The, he, the, the message version of Hebrews 11, 39, and 40 says this, not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. You see, the story of faith, that's what we've been talking about this year, is this, this great story in Scripture. The story of faith is always multi-generational. It began in the elders before us, and they passed it on to us, and we take up the cause and continue it, and then we pass it on to the next generation. Each generation adds to it and passes on something more to the next. Sometimes I think it's, it's easy to forget when we come here that, that First Church hasn't always existed we're nearly 150 years old, not quite, closer to 140. But we certainly have not been this church for the last 140 years. At one time, this church was just a little country church in a sleepy little citrus town, right? A little clapboard church. But as Orlando grew, there were people as part of this church who knew this church would matter as Orlando would grow and become one point, a group of leaders from this church saw the property across the street on the other side of Magnolia and thought that will be a, a good site for a church in downtown Orlando. It's where our preschool exists now. Later they said, we, we need that piece of property across the street. And there were leaders of this church that envisioned a great sanctuary, a tall steeple, a beautiful church to serve Orlando. People like Bishop Earl Pendergrass, Fred Ward, who chaired that committee that provided that beautiful sanctuary that we have. And then way back in the 1980s, there was a, a piece of property right across the street here. Sometimes it's referred to as the FIS building and property. It became available, and some knew that someday the city would want that to build the Dr. Phillips Center. People who led our church who are no longer with us now said, we need to get that property. People like Richard Swan, 
Pat Schwartz, Annette O'Brien, Bill Mitchell, Fred Peed, Doris Manuel, took up the cause, fought for us to have that property, fought for us to keep that property, fought for us to get the very best deal we could with the city so that then we could build these facilities that we enjoy now. We have these buildings. We have this place because elders before us said, we need it. Orlando needs it. And they entrusted that we would continue the work, that we would see the vision and fulfill the vision that they believed was possible in this place. I heard a story just in the last couple weeks of a beloved woman of this church that some of you know, Betty Wagner. Betty served on the last building committee, the wife of Skip Wagner, the mother of Allison Asbury, beloved woman, elder of this church. While this building was being built and as she was serving on this committee, the building committee, uh, she had cancer and struggled. And as this building was being completed, she was nearing the end of her life. So the family made it possible for her to be transported here so that she could get a tour of these facilities before she died. She got to see the fruit of her labors, a building that we would enjoy, but she would never get the opportunity. But if you ever knew Betty, you would know that she didn't build it for her anyway that Betty had a vision for a place for our generation and the generations to come. She knew what this place could be. Now, do you need a building to be the church? Not necessarily. Is God confined to the walls of a church? Of course not. We know better than that. But there is something about place in space, when it's dedicated to God that is particularly special. There are places in this world, because of what is done there, that are special and sacred and holy, and I consider this to be one of those places. I've shared with you before how sacred this place is to me. It's here that I joined my very first church family, you. It's here that I was married to my wife. It's here that I experienced my calling and began my ministry. It's here that I intend to finish my ministry, hopefully later than sooner. Every day as I sit in my office, every day, I realize the privilege it is to be part of a legacy, to be part of what God has done here for generations and will do in generations to come. And by the way, the Bible is full of holy, sacred places. The Bible begins with a place. God created heavens and earth and then planted a garden where he created the first humans. Then later, God told Abraham and Sarah and their descendants, I'm going to give you a place, the holy land, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then in that land, God inhabited a temple in Jerusalem Particularly in the Old Testament, there's just example after example of the heroes of the Bible building altars and and pillars and monuments to places where God met them and worked on their behalf. Place can matter. 
Places make an impact. Places become part of our story. Physical places, defined spaces and places often are where God meets with us to work. In a book on architecture called The Architecture of Happiness, Elaine de Botton says, belief in the significance of architecture is premised on the notion that we are, for better or for worse, different people in different places, and on the conviction that it is architecture's task to render vivid to us who we might ideally be. And in a book about renovating church spaces called Repitching the Tent, Richard Giles writes, throughout Christian history, every fresh insight into the nature and love of God, every reform or revival has been worked out in bricks and mortar, as well as in tracts and texts. What kind of building we meet in and how it is arranged and decorated for worship will tell anyone who is interested everything they need to know about us, which is interesting. What, what do our buildings tell the people of Orlando about us? What, what do our buildings tell us about us? What do our buildings tell us about our elders and what they believed was possible for us and for this community? When Emily and I arrived here in July of of 2019, we soon <laughs> discovered that there was still a remaining debt on the purchase of the FIS property of $1.9 million. That debt once was much larger, much of it has been paid down. That's important, the debt was on the purchase of that land. It's not on this building, it's not on the preschool, it was on that original purchase, visionary purchase. We also learned that there's been a pattern, a habit of this church, that every three years the church would have a, a capital campaign to raise enough to pay the monthly mortgage for the next three years, which is about $13,000 a month. The church has been doing this since the 1980s. Um, and by the way, if we continue to do that same pattern, we'll continue to be paying $13,000 a month until after I retire, and that's assuming I'm going to be here a little while going to be a while to get this taken care of if we do it that way. In the fall, one of our great church leaders, Pillars, Vernon Schwartzel, agreed to, to chair a campaign to raise the next three years of monthly payments. But he came to me and he said, I, I don't think we ought to do this. I think it's time to try something new. I think it's time to pay off the debt. Let's retire this debt. And I agreed with him. And so have our church leaders. And so this isn't just another three-year capital campaign. This is a debt retirement campaign. Why does that matter? Well, one, if we can pay off this debt in the next three years, we'll save our church more than half a million dollars in interest. Aren't there better ways to use a half a million dollars than paying interest? And secondly, it changes the conversation. Rather than for the rest of my ministry here and your life here, spending every three years talking about another capital campaign, let's get this done and start having conversations about how we use these buildings and how we impact the community and how we get out there in ministry rather than just how we keep paying for brick and mortar. Now, we, we approach this with a strategy that you may not be aware of, 
before we even started the campaign, we identified a group of faithful givers. We went and visited with them, and we asked, would you be willing, before we start the campaign, would you be willing to pledge enough to carry the mortgage payments for the next three years? It's about $450,000. And a group of about 20 people stepped up and have done that. And in fact, already more than 450,000 pledged, we have near, we're nearing $700,000 pledged. So what that means is, with that covered, every additional gift and pledge that we receive over the next three years can go directly to the principal and begin paying the principal down. We anticipate this month sending a check of at least $50,000 directly to the principal. So this morning, I want to ask you to do two things. One, if you have not made a pledge, this is above and beyond your commitment to the operating budget, if you have not made a pledge, would you do so? I have my pledge card here. Emily has hers today. She and her husband, Michael, me and my wife, Kelly, have each pledged $2,000 each from our families over the next three years. That's not a huge amount of money, but that's above and beyond what we do to support the budget. Um, If you're able to do that or more, I'm encouraging you to do as much as you can. And know that whatever you pledge now is actually worth more than you're pledging because it's going to principal. Does that make sense? Every dollar is worth more than a dollar, so give as many dollars as you can. The second thing I want to ask you to do is I'd like for us to send a bigger check than $50,000. And so this morning, I am giving a check of $1,000 from Kelly and I to be added to the $50,000. Emily's doing the same. I want to ask you to do that. Even if you've already made your pledge, could you this week, today ideally, make a gift to pay down the principal? Let's do as big a gift as we can just to get the ball rolling, to get this taken care of. Lately, I've been reading a novel by the name of The Overstory by Richard Powers. Have you heard the book? It's a good book. It's about trees. There's a recurring question in The Overstory. When is the best time to plant a tree? When is the best time to plant a tree? And the recurring answer is, well, if you want to enjoy that tree, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Friends, we are the beneficiaries. We we have been blessed by much that's been planted in this church, by many generations who have gone before us. And now it's our turn. Trees have been planted. Now it's our turn to plant for future generations. The generations that went before us, the elders that went before us in this church, did what they did, trusting that we would keep the work going. Let's not let them down. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the men and women who have gone before us. Men men and women I've named and many that I have not. who've given faithfully, who've led faithfully, who've dreamed big dreams, had great visions, had great faith in you and what you were going to do in this place. Lord, give us faith in what you're going to do here. 
And may we be faithful as they have been faithful to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.